Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davies and my guest today is Dauda Garuba, who is the technical advisor to the Nigerian Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative here in Abuja. Uh, Dauda, what's the state of play regarding the, the transparency initiatives work in Nigeria? Yeah, thanks for having me on your program. I want to say that um, if we were to take a look at where the country is coming from, um, when I say that, I'm talking of what has been the state of play in the, in the political affairs of this country from the 80s to the 90s. Uh, one would say that, well, there have been quite a lot of milestones achieved. Uh, we came into uh, civil rule with a baggage of um, having to respond to what the military uh, detected. And nobody was actually asking them how they were spending money or how they were even realizing some of the money that was spent. So there were totally no, uh, uh, what do I call it, a culture of accountability or transparency. Mm -hmm. But getting into transiting to civil rule in 1990, uh, the civil society also had to. 1999, sorry, yes, yes. this society also had to reconfigure how to engage with the government because now the game has changed and there are quite a lot of uh, attempts to seek for that space that actually had not existed. So transparency and accountability issue top one of those key areas around which the civil society were actually going to be working with the government. And then there was this whole thing that came about the Nigeria, the Extractive Resources Transparency Initiative that actually then gave opportunity for civil society to directly engage on some of those, uh, uh, some of those issues. And looking back, uh, what has happened between 1999 and today, uh, the level at which civil society have been uh, able to assess the space from which they are engaging government on a daily basis, I think uh, things are looking up, but it's difficult to say that we are yet there. Uh, but what is very central is the fact that the government is no longer wishing away the fact that civil society are asking questions or they are going to be asking questions on any little things that happen in this country, irrespective of the line of uh, thoughts or line of operation, be it in extractive sector or even in political governance and socio-economic reforms. So the initiative is completely free of government influence, is it? Well, I think the way it was set up, uh, the government will still have its hand, but the government cannot totally take the, um, the, the independence of the organization because it's a multi-stakeholder kind of um, approach. The government's play there. The organized private sector, especially in the extractive sector, they are also playing there and the civil society are playing there. So at the level of the board or what you call the National Stakeholder Working Group, um, it's not to it's a quite some form of quasi-governmental uh, uh, initiative. But it also... And it is very, very independent. The government does not um, like try to manipulate what it says. It, it works independently. All the reports that it uh, pushes out on a daily basis are 
really, really uh, but, it, but it's also part of a, a global initiative, isn't it? Yeah, it's a global initiative, and, and that is why uh, it makes months in terms of accountability. Yes, there is the tendency for the organization to like deter to government in terms of submitting reports to it, but it's there's also the understanding that the standards are also internationally set, so it's not solely. Uh, in the hands of the government. Does the government only respond to what the international standards are on these issues? So what are the problems do you, do you encounter in one of the major extractive industries of Nigeria? That's the oil sector. How has that been dealt with? Because it's always been a very uh, suspect uh, sector whereby all sorts of funny things were being carried out. Yeah, I, I think that also provides the opportunity to look back. And uh, before 1999, or even, let's say, 2004, when Nigeria actually started implementing the uh, EITI, uh, we had a sector that nobody actually, a sector that operated uh, in opacity. Yeah. And uh, nobody asked questions about what was happening. But with the introduction of EITI in Nigeria, for the first time by 20, 2006, between 2004 and 2006, when we had the first um, audit report covering 1999 to 2004, uh, people came like to agree that for the first time in the history of this country, there is a comprehensive audit of what is happening in the sector. And the country has built on this over the years. Uh, and today, uh, I think Nigerians are much conscious about uh, what is happening in the extractive sector, and they are also more conscious about the fact that by the time people talk about opacity, untransparent uh, transactions and all those things in this sector, people also like, feel that, oh, that must be happening in the extractive sector, particularly in the oil and gas. So as a result of this, the public interest has really built around, around what is happening in the oil and gas sector. You needed to be in the National Assembly maybe from 2009 when the National Assembly started having public hearing on issues relating to like passing a new legislation for this country in this sector. And you see the level of participation, the levels of uh, level of uh, attendance. And I remember in one of those incidences, especially in um, the incidents that happened in 2009, when the then Senate president said that he has spent 10 years in the National Assembly, he has never seen a public hearing that was like so massively attended by uh, citizens like the Petroleum Industry Bill. So all these, every Nigeria has gained that consciousness that whatever is happening to this country economically, it must be as a result of maybe what is good or bad with the, uh, the oil and gas sector. But also increasingly, under the present administration, you also then find a situation where the country is working to diversify its sources of uh, revenue so that we don't get uh, uh, affected by the current trend where the fall in the price of oil, oh, yeah. oil is affecting virtually everything we 
we live on in this country. Yeah, but as things improve in terms of the petroleum sector, because I mean there are, there are always shortages of petrol, shortages of all the petroleum Yeah, products. I, I think that's, that's a whole lot of issue that had to do with the downstream sector in, uh, of the petroleum sector, for instance, of the petroleum industry. For instance, um, the industry is divided into three major parts. You have the upstream, you have the midstream, you have the uh, downstream. The upstream is like just taking the crude drilling and production, uh, exploration and production. The midstream is about transportation, largely around use of pipelines and uh, maybe um, um, shipping and all those things. But the downstream is actually where I often tell people uh, the development issues are located. That is where the job creations are. That is where the use of the final product uh, are. And in this country, you have nine, sorry, about four uh, major uh, refineries. And these refineries have a capacity of 445,000 barrels uh, per day. And the huge problem had been that the refineries are not working up to optimum capacity. That is actually what has uh, led to the kind of um, um, uh, crisis about scarcity we are talking of. But even as we are, even if the refineries were to be working up to that optimum capacity, they can still not generate what we need to, uh, to power the economy on the domestic side. So it is in this context that there have been other ways of exploring, okay, how do you get investors to invest in the refinery business in Nigeria so that we don't all be, uh, begin to wait for the four refineries that are even uh, not optimally, are not functioning optimally. So the, that, the, that these are the issues. Oh, well, that's the point you've made. How can you power the economy if there's no uh, power? Yeah, I, I, for me, I think that is... Is, 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 is a blame you are not going to put on the doorstep of the present administration, but it's something that successive administrations oh, yes. act are actually yes. responsible for this. Yes. Because over the years, the government is, uh, the population is growing, the industries are supposed to be growing, there were also supposed to be efforts to, uh, uh, to enable the infrastructure and the needs, uh, the infrastructure to match the needs of this growth that we are talking of. Um, the four hour for 5,000, the last refinery we had in this country was built around 1980, uh, 80, around 90, in the 80s, yeah, let me just say that. And uh, since then, if we have not built any other refinery, we also would have expected that the existing ones should be debottled by way of expanding their uh, production capacity. But those who were supposed to do this did not do that. So uh, that's how we found ourselves in the kind of mess that uh, we now constantly uh, uh, face. Maybe you, some people go outside there to import refined products and mm -hmm. That's to complement what is also currently refined in the country. I think the crisis became huge when even the existing refineries were not actually delivering even half of what of the capacity they originally have. So if you have refineries that are delivering around 18, 20 percent uh, capacity, is a huge issue that is on our hands. So the only reliance there will be on export. And the feeling was also that perhaps because 
people then see that as a good business. The needed attention that should have been given to the local refineries are, are, are not there. So we have had to suffer this, and um, citizens are increasingly engaging this issue that we cannot like stay by the bank of the river and begin to drink uh, uh, sand. If you stay by the bank of the river, you should live good enough to say that you are drinking water. Is that not? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah because that's, that's a strange thing. Nigeria exports oil, crude oil, which brings in revenue, but then it cannot even uh, power its own uh, development. Yeah, and, and that's, that's actually my argument. When I tell people, when I find myself discussing oil and gas, what I tell people is the downstream sector is where the development is. The upstream is where the money is. If you really want to develop your economy, focus the downstream sector. Because if you focus the downstream sector, you are mainstreaming the oil industry or the oil economy into the other sectors of the economy. You are going to be generating a lot of jobs from this process. You are going to be building a lot of uh, industries as a result of this. Then the real value chain of oil and gas, you'll be having it well invested in and having a lot of jobs. So each time you rely on importation of refined products, you are exporting jobs, you are exporting uh, socioeconomic development uh, uh, opportunities. So that is it. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, welcome back. My guest is Dauda Gruber, Technical Advisor to the Nigeria Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative here in Abuja. Yes, another major problem because of the shortage of oil or petroleum products is the lack of electricity in Nigeria. I think the vast majority of Nigerians don't have access to electricity. In fact, all over Africa, 645 million people don't have access to electricity. How will this be resolved? Yeah, these are, it also ties to what I have said about um, oil. And the issue of electricity has, like, really affected the manufacturing uh, sector in this country. And um, increasingly, I, there, was, there was this time I used to tell people that if you look at what we have invested in electricity probably since this country returned to civil rule in 1999, um, it's probably enough to give us electricity in this country, even if we had not uh, had it before. But again, um, if you were to also put on the table what currently exists, you want to give the kudos to the present administration in terms of what has been recorded. Uh, we are being told now that we are the country is generating like over 7,000 megawatts mm -hmm. and we have issues with distribution uh, clearly so the country cannot distribute as much as it is generating and that's also had to do with the infrastructural issues we discussed earlier on the population was increasing people were building people were establishing businesses and there wasn't a corresponding match mm -hmm. with the kind of investment that were needed in the electricity uh, business. But again, there is also what has happened in terms of 
redesigning how to do the electricity business. And now rather than leave, uh, leave it as a government initiative, steps were taken by the last administration, or even before the last administration, to like have to reconfigure the way electricity business run. And that is like getting the private sector to invest in this area. And the first was to transit what we used to call the National Electricity National Electricity Powers, Electric Power Authority to uh, Power Holding Nigeria Limited. And after then, those were broken into smaller components. Today, we are talking of 26 power plants mm -hmm. in the entire country. And three of these are, are hydro-powered. The other 23 are gas-powered. And some of those plants were actually sold to um, private investors that are gradually being fixed to increase. That's actually what is gradually uh, responsible for the increase in the megawatts that are currently being generated. But not all of them have been fully built. But in the midst of this, there had also been issues around if you put all your uh, generating plants, they are gas-powered, and you have crisis in the Niger Delta where the gas comes from, it also affects some of those things. So the new thinking, uh, let's explore the energy mix option. So yes, we are going to be relying on hydro, we are going to be relying on uh, gas, we are going to be relying on other, like the wind, the coal, so, so that uh, we are not going to be putting all our eggs in one basket in a manner that when something happens to one, uh, we are shut down completely as a country, yeah. or the economy is shut down. Well, yes, you mentioned coal, and there's growing talk about it, not just Nigeria, but all of, in African countries where they have huge reserves, yeah. that uh, this country should uh, export coal, which helps to develop Western societies. Yes, I, 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 I agree. There are, if, if you were to take a look at the history of mineral extraction in Nigeria, uh, coal actually take a center stage mm -hmm. before oil. Yes. Uh, the Enugu coal uh, mines, for instance, they are sit down there in the memories of people, all the just tin mines, yes. they are also down in the memory. So oil was actually a later development mm -hmm. that we suddenly like latched on and then decided to, uh, to neglect the coal sector. Uh, under the present administration and also under the leadership of the Correct Minister of Mines and Steel, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Kyle Fayemi. Uh, quite a lot of work is going on in the area of uh, reenacting uh, our access as a, uh, a coal cool. destination mm -hmm. uh, country. Uh, but that also meant that you're going to do quite a lot of investment because uh, given that we've undermined the other uh, we've taken on oil and gas for this long and have undermined the, the, uh, the mining sector mining for sector, such a yeah. long time. Yes. Uh, we are going, getting back to reinvest uh, in that sector to see how to grow it. Just like last year, we had this opportunity of 30 billion, uh, uh, is it 30 billion naira or dollars mm -hmm. that were also being invested in the, in the, in the sector now. In the coal 30 industry, billion, oh, yeah. thirty billion naira, uh, thirty billion naira. Naira, yes. Yeah, that will be invested in, in the, the coal sector. Now, sector yes. In the coal sector, and um, the intention is that 
uh, when you have this, it's going to be complementing the energy mix energy issue mix, that yes. uh, we are talking about. But interestingly, the administration has also put in place some kind of roadmap to the development of the, the mining sector. Mm -hmm. And coal actually comes out as one of the seven biggest minerals that have a huge commercial potential and that also have a huge uh, uh, market yes. that are being at least isolated for a special focus mm -hmm. at those seven uh, key minerals. Nigeria has a deposit of like um, 2.75 uh, billion, uh, is it billion tons, metric tons, uh, metric tons of, of, of uh, gold uh, reserves. Yeah, so that is huge enough and mm -hmm. I, I, I know that even at the level of conversation, I'm aware of also some other organizations that have been engaged in, in, oh, why do we have to go back to coal? Because uh, where now people are just not just talking of energy efficiency, people are also talking of uh, uh, clean energy. Yes. Uh, coal has its own uh, uh, issues and all those things. But at least it is a man who has who is already comfortable mm -hmm. that begins to think of, oh, I can't <laughs> take this and I can't. But the challenge at the moment is how do we get energy to power this huge economy? When maybe in the process of engaging with policy, time to come. We can then begin to make choices and say, oh, I don't need this, I need that. Well, well yes, I mean, uh, President Trump has been uh, advocating this clean global coal alliance and countries like Nigeria and South Africa have shown a lot of interest in it because despite what the climate change people are saying, there's a new technology that is reducing uh, emission into, into the atmosphere. Yeah, I, I, that is where I, will, um, I, I actually would uh, appreciate that collaboration. Yes. Because issues of energy security, what I often tell people is that they are capital intensive. If you want to build capacity, you also need quite a lot of uh, uh, capital to do that. So both at the level of resource and at the level of uh, human capacity, they demand quite a lot. So it becomes very difficult for a country to think that it can go it all alone. So by way of collaboration, you would have created opportunities for uh, better utilization of resources. You would have created an opportunity for collective ownership in a manner that there will be opportunity also for experience uh, sharing on how yeah. countries go about it. So everything is going to be zeroed down around, uh, zeroed down on technology in refining the coal, in cleaning up the, the, the debt mm -hmm. um, yes, yes. that people associate with uh, yes. uh, uh, coal uh, energy well of, course, well, of course, which means that you have to sell this new idea to the climate change activists who don't want to hear anything about coal production. Yeah, you see, let me say generally, I, the general issues about um, the extraction of natural resources it's not free of disadvantages. There are advantages and disadvantages. And that is why the conversation in recent time, especially at the level of natural resource charter, has been that uh, what are those decision chains? The issue in the value chain of uh, decision on uh, natural resource extraction. And one of the key issues had always been uh, the decision to extract. Mm -hmm. Because people appreciate the fact that it has its own advantages and disadvantages, 
there needs to be a conversation between the government, the people, and even those in the business uh, sector, sector to have a round of say, oh, can we weigh the options? Yeah, we have this huge natural resource here. What is it capable of giving us in terms of wealth that we can use to uplift the life of the citizens socioeconomically? Then what are those disadvantages? Then weigh the two options and find out, is it in the best interests of a country to actually exploit the resources for use? And if it is in the best interest of the country, how responsible can the country exploit those resources while mitigating the impact, the negative impact that is supposed to be accompanying that processes, uh, those processes of extraction. Mm -hmm. So, so in the so that's why beyond just let's take the money, there's also the underlying yeah, issue uh, of so let's mm -hmm. exploit these resources mm -hmm. responsibly. responsibly. And so, if you do that, then you then find that, uh, in spite of all the associated issues that the environmentalists will talk around. If it is done responsibly, you can actually mitigate those impacts and reduce their uh, volatility mm -hmm. on or uh, their, their negativity on the environment. So how do all these tie up with uh, leadership and security in Nigeria? Yeah, I, I, I tell people, as a researcher, I tell people there is a relationship between uh, peace and security and economic growth, especially the one that affects um, um, uh, natural resource extraction. Uh, for those who have been keeping tab with developments in Nigeria uh, right from the 1980s and all through the 1990s, around the very difficult times of the 1990s, you know we've had these Niger Delta issues on yes. our hands for a very long time. And uh, just a couple of uh, weeks ago, we had people who were also prospecting for oil in the, in, um, in the northeast part of the country that were kidnapped by uh, the Boko Haram insurgents, um, um, uh, released. They were prospecting for oil. And what this is telling us is that we, as a country, we need uh, the guarantee of security to be able to do more with the uh, natural resource extraction. So, and one of the very basic needs that is on the table in terms of what we have seen across the world and also what we have researched is that if you have good governance in place, you are reducing um, insecurity in any country. And that one of the ways through which you could actually achieve that in Nigeria is if you have those mechanisms that will enable citizens to engage with how natural resources are managed or natural resources are, 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 are revenues are managed. And when they are managed very well and the citizens see themselves as benefiting from them, nobody will be going into any uh, confrontation with the government. I often tell people that citizens who are fully engaged, who are in their offices or they are in their private businesses, wouldn't have the time to go and carry arms. So sometimes it's the idleness, the lack of opportunities uh, that often push citizens who are 
uh, jobless, who do not see this, uh, the country as friendly for them, uh, that will push them into conflict. So it is in that context that we see very, uh, as very essential reconfiguring governance in a way that it can deliver dividends to the citizens. Yes, well, we all know where the problem lies, that of young people, the ones in the Niger Delta feel disaffected, and that's why they're behaving the way they are. Yeah. Uh, yes, and that's also why uh, there have been some kind of lull in the level of militancy in the region at the moment. The present administration has been into dialogue with uh, the citizens, mm -hmm. and they are also currently like, oh, let's watch it and let's see how uh, it is. And uh, it is something that will be very gratifying if uh, some of the promises that have been made in that uh, respect that, oh, give us the peace we need, we are going to uh, bring development to this region. And if there is it's something that requires give and take. Yes. So, and when the region is actually seeing that the administration is delivering on those promises, then we will certainly get there. So I also hope that, uh, I'm, uh, that things don't get to bog down to maybe reversing the current uh, peace that we enjoy in the region. Yes, Dar Dagarubo, Technical Advisor to the Nigeria Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative in Abuja. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate your help. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.